This is an ABC podcast. It's Saturday night. Um, it's packed. It has to be about a thousand people. It's super sweaty and I don't really know anyone except the people that I'm there with, but I'm there to have a good time. I walk in and I immediately see Kelly, kind of front and center of the stage dancing. Kelly is like a dream come true. Tall, dark, dark skin, dark hair, long, long hair, dark eyes, beautiful lips, beautiful smile. Everything you could ever say that's beautiful about a human being, Kelly is. Great dancer. I'm not a great dancer, so already I'm nervous. But I'm going to just be confident. I'm a new me, um, and I'm going to make a move. So I approach, and it was like one thing led to another, and then all of a sudden we were making up. The kiss was amazing. The moment is kind of memorialized forever because someone snaps a photo at the very moment we're about to make out. I'm Elizabeth Coolass. Welcome to Days Like These. We hope you'll come to think of us as the audio equivalent of the best stories that you hear about a friend of a friend. You know the ones. Surprising, a couple of twists and turns, maybe a little heartbreaking. The kind of story that you just can't help thinking about a couple of times in the days after you first hear it. And we figured, what better way for us to start a brand new show than with a love story? Pat Abud is our lead reporter. Pat, what do you got for us? Okay, Ellie, this is the story of Spencer. And as you heard at the top there, it all started on a sweaty dance floor in a bar in San Francisco with the kiss. And this kiss would reveal his secret identity and a secret superpower. Okay, I'm in. Oh, hang on. And a miracle baby too. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> okay, great. Let's hear it. <laughs> What was meant to be just a couple of weeks in San Francisco partying with my friends ended up being uh, Kelly coming to Melbourne to live with me for three months. Of course, Kelly extended because, you know, we were in love. So we get married. Um, It's very, very small. We have seven friends. I attend a small ceremony in Footscray Park in the old English garden. It's very, very beautiful. We continue the romance We decided to kind of like, you know, make the switch from just like making love to all of a sudden trying to make a baby. So we did that. And it turns out um, that there actually was some fertility issues there. So our only real option was to um, go through the journey of IVF. Spencer and Kelly desperately want a baby. So they stick with IVF for five long years until they finally get pregnant. They tell you not to tell anybody for the first 12 weeks for a reason, because after about uh, the eighth week, we found out that the pregnancy was unfortunately not viable. So we went through a miscarriage, which was, it was heartbreaking. It's incredibly isolating and you don't really have the language to talk about how painful it is. Trying to feel strong enough to hold Kelly up, trying trying to not show Kelly that I was you know, breaking down at the same time. It's like the most immense disappointment you could feel. It feels like your entire life 
is just like drowning in disappointment. And you hold it, you hold it for eight weeks. And then it just like turns into sand in your hand. It's like, how do you, how do you describe that? It's devastating. Kelly says, you know, like, what are we going to do? Like, when is this going to end? You know, we decided that we had one more attempt in us. One more fresh cycle of IVF. We have one embryo left. They put it in and the guy said, good luck. And lo and behold, that one little embryo turns into an actual viable pregnancy. And we're on our way. Kelly and I are finally about to have a baby. It's so small. Oh, Whoa. Moving. I can see him move. Whoa. Being in the room for an ultrasound is always nerve-wracking in the very beginning. And I remember hearing our baby's heartbeat, feeling super excited and being like, wow, this is actually real. We're going to have a baby. Yeah, I can see little hands. I think Kelly's had a a lifetime of surprising people. Kelly is very much a name that people associate with females. I'm actually a six-foot-tall black man. And I'm, I'm muscular. I put in a lot of time and energy into working out, and it shows. So even though when you look at us both, you just see two gay dads, two husbands, if you look Deep inside, you actually see that we have all the parts that you need to make a baby. You need to have a uterus, you need to have an egg, and you need to have sperm. Together, Kelly and I had all of those parts because I was actually born female. I was born female and transitioned to be male um, a number of years ago. Okay, so hey guys, um, this is my one week on tea update. This is Spencer documenting his voice and body changing throughout his gender transition in a series of private videos. Um, as far as changes go, like my voice kind of feels a little bit kind of like... Vibrant. Hey everyone, um, I'm going by Spencer more. This video is my um, three months on testosterone video. I had um, my first shot of 250, no major changes, but... um. I do feel much more hungry. So anyway, I've been thinking a lot about surgery. Spencer had years of testosterone treatment and a double mastectomy, or top surgery, before getting pregnant. Hey everyone, Spencer. I'm making a video in my kitchen at the moment. It's like everything that is ever a problem around this kind of stuff um, is because you're trans, pretty much. It's complicated, but at the same time, it's not. Because it's like, I'm legally still a female. I haven't had a hysterectomy. I can still, yeah, anyway. I think the question on most people's minds at this point in your journey would be, did you have to reverse your gender transition in order to get pregnant? I appear 100% male. If I, if I wasn't that, I don't know if the journey to be pregnant as a man would have felt okay with me. It was the fact that I was now so strong and solid in my male identity that I was able to kind of separate my male masculine identity from 
the body parts or the parts inside myself that I carried that would allow me to carry a baby, which is really complicated to do. It was definitely a superpower. Nothing really changes except I stopped taking testosterone for six months. In your mind, you think everything has changed immediately. You think everything's disappeared. You now look female, which is not true. No one, no one looks at you like that, but that's how you feel in your body. So did you just keep it to yourself? I just kept it to myself, yeah. I mean, I did have my friends. Of course, I had my husband. You know, I had my family. But everyone else, I just like pretended like nothing was happening. I wore big shirts and just kept moving. Being a pregnant man is incredibly lonely. It's a very, um, it's a very isolating kind of experience because on the one hand, no one, no one sees you, no one validates your experience. Um, you kind of move through the world just as a regular person while at the same time undergoing such an immensely prolific kind of experience, you know, like you're growing a human being. Um, and growing a human being is not something that's separate from you. Like you feel it, you feel this human being move inside you. You kind of like experience it at every step of the way. Oh, it's moving so much. I mean, it's so small, right? Yeah. Oh, whoa. There's the baby. For a lot of people, this seems like such a out there kind of like experience. People hear this and they're like, oh my God, this is so far fetched. You know, like it's not something that you hear every day, but it's actually not that uncommon. So Spence, how many births are we talking? How many male identifying people or trans men have given birth in Australia? The number was around 200 in the last 10 years. Wow. Is it moving? I can see his face. Yeah, it's fully moving. Do you, do you, do you, can you feel that? No, because I mean, it's so small, no? Spence and I have a lot of dialogue around how we would give birth because if my husband was going to be in labor, having contractions, in pain, and we we're going to walk up to the hospital and they would see these two men there, and I would have to explain that Spencer was pregnant and I would have to like convince these people that my husband needed care. That was something that really made me feel nervous. I was like, oh, this isn't going to work for us. Like, or not that it wasn't going to work, but that it could prove to be challenging for us. And we landed on having a C-section because we can control a lot of the factors. I remember the night before the C-section, Kelly and I went out to dinner. I was huge. I was so huge. And we went to this restaurant. We ate pizza. I'd been feeling this baby move inside me now for months. Felt so, so connected to them. And then, you know, like there's things in life you want to conquer. You have goals. You want to see them through. And this was one that, at, you know, at a lot of times I thought wasn't going to be conquerable. And here we were, you know, holding the trophy. At 9.55 a.m. on August 15, 2019, Alexis Alan Dazar Smith came roaring into the earth. And I mean roaring. 
the doctor pulls Alexis out of Spencer's belly and lifts Alexis over the drape. And I see this squishy, slimy, squirmy, shouting baby. And the first thing I think of when I see my beautiful newborn baby is, whoa, he has huge balls. And that's kind of how I realized that we had a boy. (laughs) I remember being blown away, blown away at his beauty. I looked at his hands and they were exactly the same as Kelly's. Kelly has very long fingers, very long nail beds. And here this little baby was with the exact hands of his father. It was magical. The doctors take Alexis over to a corner to uh, cut his extension cord. Excuse me, umbilical. (laughs) I'm not a doctor. (laughs) I still remember walking over to the table where they were weighing him and seeing his weight fluctuate between like 3.75 and almost like 3.9 kilos and being like, whoa, that's a big baby. Must have been the big balls. Yeah, it must have been the big balls. (laughs) He's going to be so embarrassed when he listens to this when he's older. (laughs) Um, And just thinking to myself, whoa, like, this is your baby. This is your child. Here I am falling in love with our, our our baby, our son, and realizing that now it's the three of us. Like this is our family. We've we've realized the dream. Me, my husband, and our little baby. Every single step in his life has been more miraculous than the last. Every single thing he does is more beautiful than like all the stars on the darkest night, you know? He's perfect. I don't know what to say. I mean, he's perfect. As you can tell, I'm completely in love with him. Looking ahead into the future, I see a small human with a giant backpack chasing Kelly and I through an airport. I really hope our child, as they grow, They will understand gender as something that's ever evolving. I want to kind of show him the world. I want to show Kelly the world. I want to show myself the world. I want us to experience beautiful, beautiful things. I would like Spencer to know that that kiss, that kiss on the dance floor with Spencer was a pivotal moment of my life. It literally changed the course of my life. He is the best dad I've ever seen, met, heard, been around. The kindest, gentlest, just like sweetest father a child could ask for. I just see joy. I see joy and contentment. Yeah, just learning, loving one another. Kelly and I feeling proud of every single thing Alexis does. You know what I mean? I've conquered the mountains. Now I'm just kind of like sitting, admiring the plains. Thanks to Pat Abud for making us this first episode of Days Like These. And a big thanks to both Kelly and Spencer for so generously sharing their story. Next time on Days Like These, during Australia's Black Summer, a family committed to protecting each other find out that sometimes 
Keeping secrets is the only way. And then on my mobile phone, I got a phone call and it was the siren, whoop, 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 leave now, you must evacuate now. It's that recorded emergency warning, but I just stopped dead in the lounge room. I was literally on my way out. I had an armful of stuff to take out and I just remember thinking, holy shit, it's upon us. We hope you enjoyed listening to the show as much as we've enjoyed making it. Please subscribe so we can keep you in the loop. Give us a rating in your podcast app or share us with a friend. Days Like These is hosted by me, Elizabeth Kulas. Our lead reporter is the brilliant Pat Abud. And our season one reporting team includes Alex Lowback, Sam Wicks and Monique Bowley. Our researcher is Tamar Cranswick. The supervising producer on this story was Andrew Davies, who also leads our digital team with Michael Delaney. Sound design on this episode by Andre Shabanov and Kerry Dell. And a huge thanks to Timothy Nicastri and Stephen Tilly for their audio wizardry. During the life of this show, we would absolutely love to hear from you and we would love to hear your stories. Email us at dayslikethese at abc.net.au. You can share your story with a voice memo, our absolute favourite, or you can dob in someone that you'd like us to talk to. And you can follow me on Twitter or even better, Insta, at Patabud. Go on, slide into my DMs anytime. I'd love to hear all your best stories from life. And you never know, they might end up on this show. Special thanks go to Kelly Reardon for the initial drive and inspiration getting this show off the ground. We couldn't have done it without you, Kelly. And finally, to our incredible executive producers, Rachel Fountain and Ian Walker. Our fantastic theme song is Yeah Nah by the Gooch Palms, courtesy of Ratbag Records and BMG. Extra music by Russell's Tabletop. We'll catch you next time. If you're looking for more great podcasts to listen to, I wholeheartedly recommend Conversations from the ABC. It's one of my absolute favourite shows, something of a big sister podcast to days like these. Hosts Richard Feidler and Sarah Konofsky bring you an interview with a fantastic guest every weekday. Plus, they have an amazing back catalogue to listen through as they speak to some of the brightest minds of our time. 
Here's a bit of a recent episode of Richard Feidler in conversation with comedian Akmal Saleh. It's all about the time that Akmal and his wife, both big city types, make a tree change to what they think will be an idyllic little cabin outside of Byron Bay. Their friends think they're bonkers. They figure their poodles can run in the fresh Byron air. That is until a few weeks later, the water pipes go, the walls are full of rats, and then there's the local wildlife. We had this gigantic python in the roof. I've never seen such a... This was a 30-year-old python, and every time the dogs went out in the front yard to play, this python would just come out and look at him and lick his tongue like, mmm. And so we'd, we'd, get, we'd panic and we'd have to put him back in the house. Are these small dogs or large dogs? They're small dogs. They're just like... They're not even real dogs. They're like a poodle, a toy poodle cross shih tzu. <laughs> so they don't even have snouts, in other words, do they? No, they're, they're not even real dogs. Right. Like they, they don't belong in the jungle. They belong in someone's lap. So you, you know. brought python fodder, essentially, to the wilderness. With well, yeah, dogs. I mean, you know, I, it was just, it was ridiculous. And these dogs, these feral dogs, who we were scared of, and the, the, our dogs were scared of too, But and, and they would, like, they'd come around around sunset for some reason, <laughs> and they'd circle the, the cabin. There'd be, like, five, six of them. And these things kill for pleasure, you know, they, 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 because they they just born they, they they have this bloodlust and they're full of hate, are they? Well, yeah. they certainly didn't like us, <laughs> that's for sure. And and they would just they would look at you through the window, like we'd be scared. We'd go, I can't go out. There's feral dogs. And they look demonic, you know, and, and they give you a look. You know, they can't talk, but they they give you a look through the window, like hey, you got to come out sometime. And when you do, we'll be here. Did they do that thing when they came to your window at night with the shining eyes? Did they yeah. did they do all that? They did have shining eyes. What yeah. is that? Is it, is it, it's just reflection of, of whatever. It's reflection. It's reflection. You see, but I had a very uh, a religious upbringing. I thought that was demonic. <laughs> I thought they were possessed by demons because <laughs> I've been bad. But they, they, I didn't even realise that was a reflection. But they almost lit up these eyes and they go. That's from the Akmal Saleh episode of Conversations. You can find it on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah.